The Athletic. Good morning, welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Tuesday the 8th of August, I'm Tim Spears and today we're asking... Is there an end in sight to the Harry Kane transfer saga? I do think this will go on a little bit longer. How long is not clear. Why have West Ham taken two months to sign a player? West Ham have been trying to negotiate for players with clubs who know exactly how deep their pockets are. And how can quarter-finalist England improve in the Women's World Cup? England didn't move the ball quick enough or switch play as effectively as they have done. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. Bayern Munich remain interested in signing Harry Kane despite having yet another bid for Tottenham Hotspur's record goalscorer rejected. David Ornstein reported yesterday that an improved Bayern offer for Kane, believed to be the third bid so far for the 30-year-old striker, had been turned down. Kane is thought to want his future decided before Spurs kick off their season at Brentford on Sunday, in which case Bayern are running out of time. So, what happens next and will this saga ever end. Mr Ornstein is here with the latest. Right David what are the most recent developments here? Bayern have made another bid? Yeah so Bayern Munich had two offers. One in June that was around 70 million euros plus add-ons rejected and then another in July which was improved but was also rejected. They came in with a third proposal that is said to have been made on Friday of last week. There were also suggestions that Bayern Munich had told Daniel Levy, the Spurs chairman and co-owner, that he should either accept it or they were out. And therefore, Daniel Levy did not respond by the time Bayern Munich wanted him to. However, he has since responded and that third improved offer has been turned down. Estimates vary as to exactly what that offer was for. Some people say in excess of £80 million plus add-ons. Some say €88 million plus add-ons. Some say in the region of €100 million or higher with add-ons. But the only thing we know is it's, it's not up to the level that Daniel Levy wants. After the second offer... Bayern Munich were £25 million short of where Daniel Levy wanted to be. So clearly they're getting closer. So that's two months, three bids rejected, but it doesn't feel like it's over just yet. There's going to be some more to come here. Yeah, so depends who you speak to. Some people think that Bayern were serious in that the last offer was the final one and that they won't keep bidding. But I think in these situations, one... The interest just doesn't vanish, given that he is their key target for this summer. And often the conversations keep going in some form or another. Intermediaries are involved trying to heat it up, trying to move the numbers around, trying to bring something of a consensus between the two parties. And that means I do think this will go on a little bit longer. How long is not clear. So are all parties also considering their options for next summer when Kane's contract expires? There are reports... In the Daily Telegraph, as we record this, that Harry Kane has set a firm deadline and that if he starts the opening match of the Premier League season for Tottenham, he will not then move afterwards. His wife is due to give birth in a few weeks, so she won't be able to travel. And he feels that 
once he has started playing for Tottenham this season, he does not want to disrupt Ange Postacoglu's squad by then departing. What we don't know is whether that stance could change if an agreement is reached between the two clubs at a later date. Because, of course, if Tottenham do accept an offer and they know that they could lose him for free in the summer of 2024, then you would imagine that significant pressure would come on Kane to make the move. He has it within his grasp in the summer of 2024 to walk out for nothing. If a sale doesn't happen, it's conceivable that things could go well for Tottenham. But right now, Tottenham will be in a position of not being prepared to take that risk. They can't really afford to turn down £100 million or euros. So I think in that sense, it's really up to Harry Kane to sign a new contract, even if there are some sort of stipulations that would allow him to get out in the summer of 2024 and Tottenham to earn some money, or Tottenham agree to sell and he goes along with it. I think it's inconceivable for Tottenham for this window to shut and Kane still to be there without a commitment over a new contract or a sale. Now, it's not been the best of pre-seasons for West Ham United. They sold their best player, they've seen important backroom staff members depart, they lost their last two friendlies 4-0 and 3-1, and there's a rumoured strained relationship between their head coach David Moyes and new technical director Tim Steiden. And up until now, they haven't signed a single new player. However, that finally looks set to change with the imminent arrival of Ajax midfielder Edson Alvarez for £34 million, that's around $43 million, and yes, that one was reported by Mr Ornstein too. 25-year-old Alvarez, who has played 69 times for Mexico, should replace Declan Rice in David Moyes' midfield. But ahead of the opening game of the season at Bournemouth on Saturday, are the Hammers heading for a difficult campaign? And what are the problems behind the scenes? Joining me now is Seb Stafford-Bloor, who has written about West Ham's issues for The Athletic. Seb, their season starts in four days, so why have West Ham taken so long to sign any players? difficult situation Tim I think one of the overarching problems has been the failure to actually replace Declan Rice before selling Declan Rice West Ham have been trying to negotiate for players with clubs who know exactly how deep their pockets are and that's never easy in addition to which at the beginning of July they they obviously appointed Tim Steiden who's their their new technical director comes from a club Leverkusen who have a very different philosophy around buying players. And if you look at his track record, look at the kind of players that he has scouted and the deals that he's been part of, they're typically younger players from outside the top five divisions, not exclusively, but mainly. When you combine that with a figure like David Moyes, whose transfer activity in his career has been based almost solely in the Premier League, that is a cultural clash. That is a that is a difference in beliefs. That is something which is going to take compromise to get over. And... All in all, not a particularly easy context within which to, to perform a rebuild. It seems Moyes is perennially under pressure for his job. Appointing a technical director with a different transfer philosophy to him probably isn't going to help his cause. No, Tim, it's also a really difficult one to understand. David Moyes was part of the conversation around appointing Tim Steiden. This wasn't a situation where a technical director got foisted upon a manager and then he had to do his best to, to deal with it. Last season, it started with a transfer policy which suggested that they were shifting away from the style of play which he had coached very successfully. There's almost this sense of Moyes being the character who you build upon and then you move away from because you think you're 
you think that it's a stepping stone rather than a destination. And that, again, seems to be, this seems to be part of a kind of almost a league-wide drive. You put in all these these sort of surrounding characters who don't necessarily fit the kind of the era of the, the model of Premier League club and model of kind of Premier League management that David Moyes is really from. So Rice, Lanzini and now Scamacca have left. What's the most pressing area here in terms of recruitment? Centre forward is the big one. They will remain very dependent on Mikel Antonio. Also, the team that I saw just generally was in desperate need of some fresh impetus, some originality, some craft, some different ideas, alongside some of the structural concerns. Like, I think they need a little bit of strengthening at fullback. Declan Rice, to me, for West Ham, represented more than just a single player. The Declan Rice that plays for West Ham and the Declan Rice that plays for England, the two very different footballers. And he was able to kind of fulfil both roles at West Ham. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. England will discover their Women's World Cup quarter-final opponents this morning after their extremely tense penalty shootout victory over Nigeria yesterday. England lie in wait for either Colombia or Jamaica, who play at 9am UK time today, in the last eight on Saturday. Whoever England play in the last eight, they'll surely have to improve from their poor performance against Nigeria, with the match finishing 0-0 before the Lionesses triumphs 4-2 on penalties. And they'll also have to do without key player Lauren James, who will serve a one-match ban after her red card for stamping. Women's football writer Charlotte Harper joins us now. Charlotte, England were outplayed here. So where are the key areas they're going to need to improve in the quarterfinals? A key area that England will need to improve is at the back. The Nigeria wingers found space on the outside of England's back three. So it will be interesting to see if and how Wiegmann changes that system. They struggle to find pockets of space and unlock Nigeria's defence. By contrast against China, China played in a very narrow system, so it was a lot easier for England to find those pockets of space. England didn't move the ball quick enough or switch play through Georgia Stamway and Kira Walsh as effectively as they have done against Nigeria, and they were lacking that pass into the final third. How much will they miss Lauren James and who's going to step up in her absence here? She will be a big miss. Uh, We have seen how she can provide that moment of magic and opposition fear her. And because of that, their attention is drawn away from other players. Ella Toon is an option to play in the number 10 role and I expect Wiegmann to turn to her. Does their tournament experience give them a bit of a crucial edge here? You know, they certainly know how to win in a variety of circumstances. Tournament experience does give England a crucial edge. I was pretty calm going into penalties because I know how meticulous Wiegmann and her assistant Ian Virink are in their planning. They remain composed and that's definitely transmitted to the players. And although England have had bumps on the road and haven't hit their peak form, there is still this unwavering belief in the team of their ability. Right, TV time. As mentioned, it's Columbia v Jamaica at 9am this morning, which is on ITV1 or on Fox Sports 1 in the US at 4am Eastern time. That's followed by France v Morocco at midday here on BBC One or 7am Eastern time on Fox. The Carabao Cup starts tonight with Hollywood Wrexham taking on Wigan Athletic. That's at 8pm on Sky Sports and you can also watch in the States at 3pm Eastern time on ESPN+. Right, that's all for today. Thank you for listening. I've been Tim Spears. Your producer was Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If it's your first listen, thanks for stopping by. Make sure you subscribe and drop us a review and let us know your views. 
if you're already a fan, tell your mates too. Michael Bailey will be back with you tomorrow. See you soon. The Athletic.